Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and I'm a senior director at CFGI. And this is the program where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation today because we're going to be taking a look at private equity through a little bit different lens with my guest, Michael Von Bevern, who is the partner and co-founder of Socium Fund Services. And Michael, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thank you, David. Pleasure to be here. Oh, great to have you. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and a little bit about your firm? Sure. Uh, well, Michael Von Bevern, uh, co-founder and CEO of Socium Fund Services. We are headquartered in Short Hills, New Jersey. Woman-owned, employee-owned, four-year-old company. We're a fund administrator. So we work primarily with private equity, venture capital, and real estate funds. We have a little special niche in private credit, but being a fund administrator, what that means is we essentially work with private equity managers to do their sort of middle and back office work. Okay. And let's explain for the audience who may not be familiar with what that really entails. Let's get into that just a little bit. What, what does that really mean? Sure. Um, as a fund administrator, uh, we work with the fund manager to onboard their investors, uh, to make sure that their investors fill out their documents correctly when they're subscribing into funds. Uh, we perform anti-money laundering on the money that's uh, being subscribed into the fund. Uh, we help the manager execute uh, trades and deals if they need our help. And then ultimately we create books and records uh, for the fund that will drive the official NAV calculation, the net asset value, net asset value calculation that uh, you know, is what the investor is most, uh, most concerned about. Yeah, one of the things that struck me there was you mentioned anti-money laundering. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so though private investment funds are not, typic, uh, not necessarily efficient uses uh, of, of money laundering, they, they have been used in the past. So we're required to perform anti-money laundering checks on the money coming into the fund and making sure that the investors are not politically exposed people or they're not on an OFAC list. Um, and, and somebody that should not be investing with potentially, you know, illegal money. Now, if a PE firm is not using you, for example, to perform that function, are they doing something like that typically? They may not. Yeah. So the United States does not have the strongest AML regime. So we follow the Cayman Islands uh, AML regime, which requires us to do it on all our clients, regardless of whether they're domiciled in the U.S. or not. Yeah, so the fund administration piece obviously is pretty important for the private equity firm. But talk a little bit about why it matters so much for the investors and maybe even for the portfolio companies themselves. Sure. Uh, well, certainly Bernie Madoff was probably our biggest salesperson. Yeah, there's a name uh, we all know, right? Yeah. So, you know, prior to, to uh, Madoff, um, hedge funds had embraced using fund administrators, you know, probably in the early 2000s as a way to, to create like operational efficiency in their back office. But really once um, the issue came up where basically uh, Madoff was creating his own NAB calculations, you know, the idea that have investing your money in a blind pool to begin with and then having the manager create the statement to tell you what it's worth basically was a big catalyst for the use of fund administration and it has grown substantially over the years. 
you know, private equity has, has embraced uh, fund administration over the years, uh, venture capital, real estate, you know, basically all types of uh, commingled investment vehicles pretty much use a fund administrator um, today. Yeah, I mean, you need that, that that sense of independence and security to know that your money is not being uh, diverted uh, inappropriately. Yeah, at the end of the day, we issue a statement with our name on it, you know, so it carries our liability on those numbers, and uh, investors uh, will call us and do call us when they have questions about, you know, the fund. So let's talk a little bit about NAV. So for those who aren't familiar with that acronym, it's net asset value. And as you know, valuation is near and dear to my heart. I know. That's what I do for a living. So talk a little bit about the NAV calcs. Uh, how are they done and, and why do they matter? Uh, yeah, an NAV calc is, uh, you know, fairly complicated in the sense that it looks at every asset and liability of the fund. Basically, the net asset value is the assets minus the liability. So really what they're looking at is how much is the equity worth in the fund? And then we take that NAV and that equity and we apportion it to each one of the individual investors based upon their ownership percentage. So we start with making sure it's right. Things like how much cash does the fund own? We want to substantiate that cash. You know, what investments did the fund make? We want to substantiate those investments as well. Um, it's a lot easier if you're dealing with public securities because there's typically a custodian or a prime broker that is basically certifying that they've received those securities on your behalf. But in the private equity and venture capital world, a lot of the investments are done you know, on paper. You know. And so we do our best to verify those assets and uh, the, we work with the manager to value them, which is you know, part of the reason why I think we're a good fit together is we work with them to at least get them valued at least once a year, and hopefully the funds are being audited you know, to help substantiate those values. And at the end of the day, that net asset value is ultimately where we're portioning to the investors, usually quarterly. Yeah, and that resonates. Look, my, my firm helps private equity all the time in a variety of matters, including you know, valuing portfolio companies for these reasons and, and certainly others. Um, but are you finding that the PE firms are, are outsourcing that NAV calc, or are many of them doing it in-house because they've got the in-house capability? Sure. Um, well, there, there, there's, there's uh, multiple tiers of managers out there. I would say the smallest managers believe they can do it themselves. You know, they save money by doing it themselves. And basically, most of their investors are friends and family. So mm -hmm. they trust you. They, they know you know what you're doing, and, and they believe that you can calculate an NAV fairly. Um, the largest of the largest managers who are managing multiple tens of billions of dollars have built out sophisticated in-house teams that are walled off, that create the NAV, that you know, their investors believe in and trust in, you know, whether it be Blackstone or BlackRock or Carlyle or KKR, those really big firms. Um, where, we f where we sort of fit in the market is sort of that middle market. You know, um, I would say anywhere between firms managing 10 million to 5 billion uh, will typically pick fund administrators like ourselves, um, you know, to work with them. And, and we do more than just the NAV calculation. We help them, you know, wire money. We help them with their books and records, get their audit done at the end of the year. So sort of the headline version of what fund administration is, is the official NAV calculation. But there's so much more operational efficiency they get from working with an outsourced team of, you know, of experts like us. Sure. Before we went on the air here, um, 
you had mentioned that uh, a number of the firms that you work with, um, part of their investment criteria are focused on the teams, management teams. Um, Tell the audience, for the listeners and viewers who may be with groups that are potentially looking to raise capital at some point, what are the kinds of criteria that private equity firms are looking at these days? Sure. Um, and I do feel like I'm in a fairly unique position because as a founder and a person who considered raising private capital to, to grow my business, um, working in the same industry, uh, I feel like I have a unique perspective on this. and. Basically, when I work with our, our managers, you know, one common theme is they're investing in teams. Um, they're looking for strong management team with a strong track record and certainly, you know, returns and the ability to, you know, deliver, you know, top, quart top quartile returns is important to an investor. Um, but from the, from the fund's perspective itself, good investments usually start with good teams you know, seasoned individuals who are motivated and aligned with the type of private equity fund. And that's why there's so many of them out there. And if, you, if you're struggling to raise um, either like a seed round or a series A round, there are a lot of firms out there. You have to cast a wide net to find the right one. And don't give up because um, they, you, you, they, no, though there's not a match.com for, for capital, uh, it, it's, it's a relatively small network. And once you get involved in that network, persistence you know, typically pays off. Yeah. And you mentioned that you were involved in a capital raise. How'd that go? Yeah. I mean, capital raising is a full-time job. And so when we first started down the path of raising capital for Socium, um, we noticed how much time it would take. And as an entrepreneur, I look at everything as a return on my time. And I could spend a lot of time trying to raise capital. And ultimately, I decided it would be better just try to grow the business, you know, best I could. Because the better you grow the business, the more purchasing power you have with raising capital. And so, you know, ultimately, when, you, when I boiled it all down to figure out why would I be raising this money, I said, all I really need to do is find customers, and the rest will take care of itself. So ultimately, we decided to stay employee-owned, and I'm happy we did. But that's not for everybody. Yeah. You know, if I was a technology company, which is a, a big place where uh, certainly venture funds go, you need that kind of upfront money to put a team together to develop a product, um, whereas you know, we operate based upon our abilities. Right. Gotcha. For those folks watching and listening that may want to learn more about you or how they can work with you, Michael, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, well, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, you know, Michael Von Beveren on LinkedIn, where our website is www.sociumllc.com. And uh, I'm, my contact information is on the website as well as LinkedIn. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. Very good. We only have about three minutes or so to go in this first segment, uh, but I want to kind of jump off of um, the investing in teams theme and take that into the discussion around ESG investing, environmental, social governance. It's a very popular, trendy um, investment style. Uh, it's a, a certainly a feel-good way of making investments. What's, what are you seeing in terms of P investment in the ESG space? A lot of focus on ESG, more so in the last six months than I've seen, you know, in the 
15 years of me working in this space. Um, I think with the current environment within our country, people are trying to mix uh, social impact with investing at the same time. And there is a lot, you know, at the end of the day, they are still in it for returns. You know, it, when, when they invest in, in ESG focused funds, they are still looking for returns. Uh, but at the end of the day, that they want to be able to represent to their investors that they're making an effort to do their part in responsible investing. Yeah. Has COVID-19 impacted your business in a dramatic way? It actually has, but in a lot of ways, positively. Um, one is the fact that we work with mostly private equity and venture capital. Those funds are what they call closed-end funds. So when you invest in a private equity firm, you're really doing it for the next 10 years. Um, and so the, the idea of taking my money out of the fund because of COVID-19 really doesn't exist. So they were able to maintain their normal operating cycle, fund their, in, you know, their portfolio companies. And then the increase in, in social networking and Zoom and my ability to get our name out there and market through virtual networking has really been, you know, real positive, including uh, we were able to pick up uh, a, a person who was let go from another firm, you know, this tremendous um, salesperson that works with us, Nancy Velakis, who has really moved our firm forward with regards to marketing and, and PR. Yeah, it's an interesting point you made about kind of, we'll call it the stability of the investment, if you will, because investors don't have that ability to hit the panic button and, and sell in a perceived downturn. Yeah, it, it's, it's almost um, a way to sort of set it and forget it. You know, once you're invested in the fund, you're investing in the manager, you're relying on their expertise to pick the investments, and their, you know, again, their track record of doing those types of investments, and, you know, as a limited partner, you're a passive investor. Um, and when, when you invest in a private equity fund, you know, you're basically locking up your money for 10 years. Yep. Hence the non-efficient way to launder money. <laughs> That's a good spot to take a commercial break. So uh, in the studio, we're going to uh, jump back here to, to uh, pay a few bills, take a quick pause. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers with Michael Von Beveren. Shelter dogs aren't broken. They've simply experienced more life. If they were human, we would call them wise. They would be the ones with tales to tell and stories to write. The ones dealt a bad hand who responded with courage. Do not pity a shelter dog. Adopt one. Say we've got grit, and we'll take it as a compliment. Because it's our uncommon drive, our spark within, that brings us together and sets us apart. We are temple made. And when others take shortcuts, when others take breaks, when others take the easy way, we take charge. Add us on social media watch bloopers, behind-the-scenes footage, previews, and more.
I work 13 hours a day, six days a week. So when I'm off the clock, I gotta get stuff done. So when I need a snack, I need something healthy, tasty, and easy to eat. Like wonderful pistachios without the shells. They're protein powered, delicious, and great on the go. And that's perfect for me. Thanks, Liz. A woman without a lot of time. Whether you're Welcome back to Behind the Numbers, and today we're talking about private equity from a different lens with the founder and uh, partner at Socium Fund Services, Michael Von Bevern. And Michael, in the first segment, we alluded to a couple of the ideas of investment themes that uh, PE funds may look for. We talked about investing in teams, but I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. Um, People watching and listening who might be wondering, you know, is this the right fit for me? How do I go about becoming attractive and investable? What would you say to them? Well, I would say be prepared. Um, uh, you cannot be overly prepared if you're going to try and raise money. Um, have your ducks in a row. Have a great story. Really tell the story that differentiates you from the other thousand pitches that they're looking at. So yeah, of that thousand, how many are actually going to get funded? A small percentage. Yeah, you know, may, single digits for sure. You know, could be three to five percent of deals okay. actually would get funded in a year by any given manager. And so, therefore, when you have that opportunity to raise money, you have to take advantage of it. And I think I told you at one point that we were talking uh, with a private equity firm, and they gave me one opportunity to come and meet with them and pitch our story. And it happened to be the day my son was graduating high school and I asked them to reschedule and they said no. And so I didn't go and it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so you do have to be ready. Uh, it's a full-time job and you have your, you know, your ducks in a row. Your pitch book has to be solid. It really has to emphasize what makes you special and how you're going to make money for them. Yeah, so many firms, you know, from my lens in, in the valuation profession, so many firms are, are trying to articulate their secret sauce and their key differentiating factors. But when everybody's out there saying the same thing about what makes them different, it, it kind of gets lost in the noise. Uh, have you seen any examples of really good differentiating factors? Sure. Um, one, of the, one of the nice things that I've seen that help people raise money is to have real-life case studies. You know, they go out there because uh, most of these people, you know, didn't graduate college and start, you know, start a business. They, they've, they've worked for a number of years and then they realized that an entrepreneurial track is where they wanted to be. Um, so having a case study where basically shows you've done it before and you could do it again with a little bit of, of a catalyst from a private equity firm, you know, I think really speaks the story of, you know, how you operate. And ultimately, that's what they want to see. They want to know that their investment is safe with you and that you have something that's repeatable. 
Yeah, great advice. Make sure that you're protecting their investment and that you've got something that's replicable. Been there, done that. Exactly. Yeah, good good stuff. And I think uh, a lot of folks maybe see that on Shark Tank from time to time, but uh, good advice and it, it clearly resonates. One of the things that um, a lot of people may have a misperception of when, when thinking of private equity is that they're, they're in, they're out, they're hands off, they really don't care. Um, we both work with private equity and you mentioned something about PE being relationship driven. And I wanted to give you opportunity to potentially bust a few myths here as people have that misperception. You wanna talk about the uh, emphasis on relationships in private equity? Sure, I mean, from my point of view, private equity is extremely relationship driven. Um, from selecting their service providers like us, uh, their law firm, their accounting firm. Um, it's a, they want cultural alignment um, between the teams because at the end of the day, we're an extension of their firm. And they want to know in the same vein that they can go to their junior associate and say, I need this done and I need it tomorrow. They can call me and say, I need this done, I need it tomorrow. And I react the same way as if I was an employee of theirs. So when, it, when they work with their portfolio companies, they're so involved with those companies. Very, very rarely are they completely just like hands off, give them the money and hope that it turns into something. You know, they are experts in their field. They are experts in connecting people that need to be connected. Uh, whether it's for a, a big sale or potentially a new product line. Uh, they help them uh, with banking relationships uh, if they need to raise money. Uh, very, very valuable. It's a high leverage relationship that you can get out of private equity. The downside is you're giving up you know, ownership of your business potentially. Um, but using uh, a Shark Tank reference, uh, one I use a lot, is would you rather own, you know, 10% of uh, a watermelon or 100% of a grape? Yeah. You know, that's a Mark Cuban line, and I, I believe it. And so I think once you start to run your own business, what we've been doing in Socium over four years now, you know, you think about that constantly. You know, is this the right move for me? And uh, so, like I said before, there's lots of firms out there that, invest in your type of company, whether you're a tech company or services company or healthcare company, um, find those guys who understand your strategy and they could really be you know, a source of leverage for you. Yeah, good rocket fuel. Yeah, absolutely. Michael, how can people learn more about you or reach out to you if they want to connect? So, like I said, I'm on LinkedIn uh, and I'm an active person on LinkedIn. I like to publish a fair amount uh, on LinkedIn uh, with you know, thoughts about the industry, thoughts about, um, you know, service companies and, and outsourcing in general. Um, and uh, that's probably the most efficient way to do it other than, you know, obviously we're on our website and you can contact me through there. Okay. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about what I call your journey of entrepreneurship. We've got a lot of folks who are in the audience who are entrepreneurs, who serve entrepreneurs. and. Always interesting to get some nuggets to share, um, you know, lessons learned and things like that. So why don't you talk a little bit about your journey, what inspired you to, to go out on your own and what are the do's and don'ts? <laughs> sure. Uh, well, I certainly didn't start out that way. I mean, I started very traditionally. I was in public accounting to start my career and then ran around Wall Street for a few years until ultimately I was on the trading desk at a hedge fund in New York. and. Uh, 
when you're on a uh, trading desk, you know, you're basically given a limit and a phone and a computer and they say make money. And uh, I did that for a number of years and I really found that if you uh, build relationships with people, sort of the revenue will come. And I really enjoyed building those relationships. Then, unfortunately, during the great financial crisis, that hedge fund went under. And with looking at the prospects across Wall Street, uh, somebody gave me a call and talk, you know, asked me about would I be interested in a fund administrator. At the time, I really didn't know much about them. Um, I knew our fund had one, and we just, we just didn't like them. But uh, they said, they need smart people who know sort of accounting operations and trading and you you may be a good fit and it's in New Jersey so that was a big help I didn't have to commute into New York anymore so once I got there uh, I worked with three great founders of that company and they really allowed me to sort of run the business from a day-to-day -day perspective you know hiring people bringing on new business you know helping them really set the direction of the firm and that gave me that taste uh, that this is maybe what I want to do you know, we were subsequently bought, you know, by a bigger company, much more bureaucratic. And ultimately, I realized that I had that entrepreneurial gene and it was not going to be, you know, exercised in a bigger company. Yeah. So had the idea for Socium and I said, let's give it a shot. Thankfully, my co-founding partner, Beth Mueller, um, who's also Jersey resident, um, who worked with me in my past couple of jobs, and said yes and agreed to be my co-founder and we've been ham and egging it ever since <laughs> you know you mentioned that you are a employee-owned firm yes in addition to a women-owned firm um, what inspired the decision to make it employee-owned well you'll appreciate this because of your book but uh, you know when we had an opportunity to start socium we really had the opportunity to start from scratch and look at all the pieces of the operating model that sort of worked and didn't work in, in our industry. You know, there's basically three pieces. There's people, there's process, and technology. And the technology, we went hard after getting the best of breed technology that we could, and we still believe, you know, we have today, you know, better than most of our competitors. Um, process, I am a process geek. Um, I love process as a former accountant. And our control environment at Socium is as, as tight as it can be. But ultimately, it's driven by people. And what you have in our industry can be sometimes high turnover. And one of the things about high turnover that our clients don't like is that they spend a lot of time teaching our people about their strategy, how they do business, who their investors are, what their investors like. And then ultimately for them to leave because we're not satisfying them in some way, um, you know, is painful for both of us, both our clients and our, and, and, and our firm. So we decided to make it an employee-owned business. So all our employees, all our full-time employees at least, have real equity or are on a path to real equity. Yeah, so they're invested in the business, Absolutely. literally, metaphorically. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, so if that phone rings at 7 o'clock and you were thinking about leaving, maybe you'll stay and pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. We only have a couple of minutes left in the program here, but I wanted you to look into your crystal ball and, and talk to us a little bit about the future of the of your industry, the future of PE. What are the, the key influencers and, and where do you see it headed? All right, it's two questions because the future of my industry is is, is yep. interesting. 
my my business is is part of an M and A wave. Uh, fund administrators uh, are constantly being bought, um, and it's it's interesting for me to watch it all happen. Uh, it's 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 good information, and I'm not saying it'll never happen for us. But right now, I'm enjoying the sideline view of of what's happening in my industry. Uh, from a from the PE perspective, uh, what we're seeing is you know the big firms continue to do well. Um, the first quarter of this year, you saw some really big fund launches, you know, from big names, household names. The smaller guys are definitely struggling. It's a relationship business. Um, that usually takes, you know, multiple meetings face to face before an investor will give you money, you know, to launch that fund. So being not being able to travel and having to do meetings over Zoom or you know whatever um, process that you're using uh, has made it much more difficult for for the new guys to launch. And really, first time launches is where we really specialize. Yeah. You know, we really want to help those first time managers launch their first fund. Uh, because our goal is by adding us to the mix. And I, I think I've used this analogy way too many times, but I'll use it again. We like to create a one plus one equals three relationship. You know, by, by adding us with the fund manager, we believe that they will grow better than if they were on their own. And ultimately, it becomes a win-win for both of us. Uh, we've worked with a number of, you know, ten to thirty million dollar managers over the last fifteen years who now manage billions of dollars. And I'm not going to take credit for them getting to billions, but I do feel that we play a large part in in helping them, you know, achieve those goals. Yep. And on that note, we're going to have to hit the wrap button here. So, Michael, thank you for joining us today on Behind the Numbers. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you for watching and listening to Behind the Numbers. We've been talking about private equity fund administration with my guest, Michael Von Bevern from Socium Fund Administrators, uh, Socium Fund Services, I should say. Uh, if you're uh, watching or listening somewhere and you see a subscribe button, please be sure to hit it so you can stay in touch with all that we're up to. And until next time, we will see you again on Behind the Numbers. Take care, everybody.